Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hooray for Hollywood. Hooray for Hollywood. You're so misunderstood. Keep shining like you should. Hooray for Hollywood. Hey, this is Brett Gersky. Welcome to another episode of On the List. This is episode number 50. It's a milestone. Uh, it's March 2019. We're coming to you from the Believe Podcast Network. My guest today is someone who I think I've known for almost their entire life, uh, which is hard to believe. He's a newly minted Oscar winner. He just won last week for Best Adapted Screenplay for Black Klansman, Charlie Wachtel. What's up, Charlie? Hey, Brett. Thanks for having me. <laughs> How are you doing? Um, flying high. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, you must still be on the high. It's definitely on the high. Probably will always be on the high. Um, you told me to, I, you reminded me to bring my Oscar and oh, yeah. every single time something like that happens, it reminds me that I have it and that I want it. Yeah. I got to keep reminding myself because it definitely doesn't feel real. If it was me, I'd keep it on my nightstand so I just wake up and see it every morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, it's like, uh, it's hidden a little bit better than that. But right. uh, yeah, it's, but like, it's what gotta, do you do with it? I don't it know. Well, it's got to feel like a dream that you just keep waking up and you're like, it wasn't a dream. It really happened. A hundred percent. Like there's part of me that thinks this is some grand simulation designed to, I don't know, uh, pacify me or yeah. something. Well, it's incredible because it's your first produced screenplay, right? Yeah. As for a feature film. For a feature, yeah. Um, so the movie is obviously Black Klansman. Uh, the award is Best Adapted Screenplay. The movie was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor, Adam Driver, Best Editing and Best Score. And you guys took it home to represent it's, was, incre it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, I, I think once we found out that the movie got six Oscar nominations, it was like, okay, this is uh, this is big, right? Well, I was thinking when it when the nominations came out, I was like, how cool is that? That a script that you guys thought of because you found the book, you know, not only got nominated for screenplay but picture because it's so it's such a short list, you know, five to 10 movies that get nominated every year. And this year it was eight. So one of the eight movies is something that you had an idea that you said, this should be a movie. It's, uh, it's, it's humbling. It's, uh, I can't even really put it into words. Last year at this time, you know, my writing partner and I, the movie hadn't come out yet. We were a couple months out of Cannes and uh, we didn't know how the movie was going to be received. We didn't know if it was going to get good critical reviews or if it was going to make any money at the box office, we didn't even know what kind of release it was going to get. Right. So, um, and at that time we had, you know, recently quit our day jobs like a couple months prior and we didn't know where our next paycheck was coming from. Right. So, you know, it was a question of, can we do this for a living or not? Right. Um, and any number of things could have happened. Yeah. So at that point did, you had seen the film. Right, the finished film? We didn't see the film until Cannes. Oh, okay. Right, and you know, we, we didn't meet Spike Lee until the cocktail hour before oh, really? the screening. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, interesting. Oh, we'll get into all that, yeah. how, how that played out. Um, but at what point were you like, I think we have something special, was it Cannes? Cannes, yes. Uh, the Cannes after party when uh, the Rotten Tomatoes review started to trickle in. Oh, that's interesting. Um, we were all just having fun, getting drinks. And then one review after the next was positive. And again, that didn't really seem real. But, you know, 
that's a big indication that maybe we had something on our hands here. That's so cool. I love that. We're going to get into the whole backstory of Black Klansman, but first I want to give people backstory about you and how I even know you. So like I said, I think I've known you your whole life because when did you, when did your family move to East Brunswick, New Jersey? How old were you? Uh, I was probably like two years old, I want to say. Okay. So I've known you since you're two because your brother Howie and I met in second grade, I believe, at yeah. uh, Memorial Elementary School. Uh, we were friends ever since second grade. And you were his littlest brother, Charlie. And so when I would go over to his house, his two-year-old brother was there, who then, now I'm sitting across from doing a podcast in Hollywood talking about his Oscar. Um, and so I've known you almost your whole life. I actually remember directing videos at your house, using your in house the as a location yeah. for like Civil War things. I remember that. History class. I think you were in that. I was definitely in that. So I will find it for you because I had all my VHS tapes digitized, like mm -hmm. all my home movies and all my projects. Um, from school. And so I definitely have the Civil War movie that we made at your house. Um, Gotta see it. Yeah. So that, <laughs> that was maybe your first movie that you were in. Definitely. Um, and so you always were interested in film, right? Your whole life? Or? Uh, I would say really like around when I was like 14, okay. 13, when I first went to Universal on a family trip. Um, I Out saw, here? Uh, Hollywood? It was there was Florida. one in Hollywood and then one in Florida. Um, the one in Orlando, I saw like a Hitchcock exhibit. Yeah, and the one out here in LA, I you know went on the studio tour. I saw the the Bates Motel and yeah, totally deconstructed how you know things are actually made in Hollywood, and that really struck my interest. Um, and then I sort of carried that into high school a little bit where instead of doing written reports, uh, David and I, my writing partner, would do videos yep. uh, that we wrote and direct. And <laughs> Same thing. That's so funny. It's like um, it's like you just get the bug and then you try to put it in every facet of your life. I did the same thing like humanities class. is a class at East Brunswick totally. High School. And mine was like a 45-minute. We did like the real world East Brunswick. <laughs> <laughs> and they showed it for years as like an example of what you could do. But I Amazing. always like, I was like, if I could make a movie, and your brother and I did it, we were probably in middle school when we were doing those videos. And it was like, instead of a book report or a presentation, let's just act it out. You know, we did like. It's more fun that way. Yeah. And I remember hooking up two VCRs and taking clips from the movie Gettysburg, like the battle <laughs> scenes, because obviously we couldn't do battle scenes and like cutting those into it. Which no was way. Like, yeah. I'll show you all of them. Um, but we actually reconnected when Howie and I had our 10 year high school reunion. That's right. So we're at the high school reunion. And Howie says to me, is it cool if Charlie meets up with us after the reunion? I was like, yeah, of course. And then we went to a bar after the reunion. You met up with us. And I remember you were like, I want to move to L.A. What should I do? And I was like, do it. Yeah, remember I, I remember distinctly I was, uh, I think I was out partying with some friends that night. And I got a late text from Howie. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I should just head on over there. So I went over there. And I remember talking to you for like only 30 seconds when you had already convinced me that oh, good. LA is the place I need to be. <laughs> well, because I felt like if you felt it, just do it. I, I, I Give it a chance even for a year mm. and you would never regret it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm really glad I had that conversation. I'm glad to actually work out <laughs> pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I think it's also, you know, part of the battle I always tell people or half the battle is moving to LA. So by moving here, now you're competing against everybody who's here. But not moving here, you know, you're not in the mix yet. So it's almost like 100%. if you stay where you are or you're afraid to make the move, 
it's like you're competing against everybody in the world. And then as soon as you become part of that community in LA, now you're just competing against the people here. So it, yeah, there's there's the moving to LA, and then there's the staying in LA. Exactly. A lot of people don't do the second part. <laughs> right. Right. And I think you know LA weeds people out who can't handle it because it's a tough business, which you learned pretty quickly when you got here. Yes. Um, and so you moved to LA. Uh, what year did you move here? 2009? 2009. Nine, right. August. Okay. Mine was August 2003. Um, so right before you, six years before. Um, and so you got here and you were like, now what? And I remember um, I was like, I'm going to get you an internship. And at the time I had a friend working with Akiva Goldsman. Uh, was it on the Warner Brothers lot? Yeah, yeah. And Akiva Goldsman, interestingly, won best adapted screenplay Oscar for A Beautiful Mind. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> so that's come full circle. Mm -hmm. um, and you were his intern, basically, at his company, Weed Road. Right? Yes, that so is true. The first job. Um, that, was that was the like? first job. Uh, that was a, There was a whole lot of copying books on the copy <laughs> machine, right. getting coffee for executives. And, you know, at least I knew the difference between a latte and a cappuccino because right. I previously worked at Starbucks. Oh, so really? I think I was in better shape than the other interns. <laughs> that actually does give you a leg up in the Hollywood internship. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's very cool that the 2009 internship for someone who won the same award that you would win 10 years later. That's pretty epic. It's, yeah, that's something I didn't think about, actually. Uh, it's very cool. And so uh, let's talk about the award. So you share it with David Rabinowitz, who is your writing partner, who's also from East Brunswick, New Jersey, where, mm -hmm. we're, where we're from. And so that's pretty cool that your childhood friends and writing partners, how did that come to be? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of this started in high school. Uh, Dave was really into screenwriting. I was just starting to get the bug. Um, we both had a film appreciation class. Yep, uh, I took that. Who was the, the teacher when you got uh, Mr. Cibrian. Okay. Might have been a different teacher. Yeah, it was a different teacher. Um, but yeah, we. Uh, That's my favorite class from high school. It was it was so great. <laughs> For obvious reasons. You watch all these films that you know you feel like you also shouldn't be allowed to watch. Right. Like The Graduate and The Shining. Right. Um, we watched Citizen Kane. Did you guys watch it? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely Citizen Kane. Yeah. The Sting. Uh, so it, it kind of just you know the first critical approach to cinema was was that class really, and it was. Fun, but at the time, you're never thinking like, oh, I can maybe make a career out of this. It's right. just, you know, a delusion. <laughs> but you just knew you loved it. Yeah. And I think I was I was very politically active in high school with like Model UN, Model Congress, and all that good stuff, uh, constitutional law. Yeah. Your brother and I did uh, IPL with Mr. Calamano. Yes, yes. If I could brag about us for a second, we were the national champions in 1998. That's right. <laughs> Do you remember that? We, we were the national champions too. Oh, I love that. Um, so yeah, I think that I still think to this day that was probably the biggest achievement I've ever had. Until now. Um, maybe until now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but after being like very politically active in high school, I kind of got over that going into college because college was just like, what am I going to do? Am I going to be a lawyer? Am I going to major in political science? I had thought about double majoring in poli-sci and film, but then was like, this is ridiculous. So I decided to double down on film. I okay. majored in film. I minored in cinema studies. Amazing. And uh, I love that. never looked back. Where'd you go to school? American University. Oh, right. That's right. American and uh, FAMU in Prague, which was the study abroad program that's they had. so cool. But I think that's part of it, too, is like just like the moving to LA is taking the chance on yourself and majoring in film because I did that too. Absolutely. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where you you go all in in college as opposed to just like, I'll major in something realistic and then try to do film after. It's like, no, it's like you got to go into college 
with a one-track mind, like film, 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 nothing to fall back on. Oh, yeah. And I always tell people, if you have something to fall back on, you're going to fall back on it. So don't have anything to fall back on. Yep. Just keep moving forward. Um, okay, so let's talk about uh, uh, the Oscars. So you brought your parents. Yeah. I've known your parents for a long time, Shirley, uh-huh. Shirley and Art. It was great to see them in, like, all the pictures with you in L.A. That was very yeah, cool. Yeah, it, it, was, it was really great to have them both there. Yeah. And uh, fun fact about your dad, he was a basketball coach. Yeah. And so he used to take me and Howie to these games, and we could, like, shoot around on the court before the game, which was, like, for a little kid. Oh, to his, to his own games, oh, like yeah. uh, LIU Brooklyn. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, We'd wow. be, like, on the court, like, these little kids with, like, these really tall basketball players. That's like, awesome. shooting around. I vividly remember that. I don't even like, remember that. Oh, yeah. I like, just remember him taking us to, like, basketball camps for oh, yeah. recruits. <laughs> oh, yeah. This was, like, the real game. So it was, like, the VIP treatment, which mm. was great. Um, so then you got to give your parents – that VIP treatment. Um, but leading up to the Oscars, uh, which other award shows did you guys go to? You went to the WGA. Yeah. Uh, the Writers Guild, BAFTAs, Critics' Choice. Um, you won the BAFTA, right? We won a BAFTA, yeah. That's pretty epic. It was very epic. <laughs> and, you know, at the time we didn't know that we would get an Oscar. So when you win a BAFTA, it's just like, this is this, the, this is it. It's the British Oscar. Yeah. Right. And and you carry it around all of London <laughs> and you can get into anywhere you want. Um, Incredible. I wish I could say the same about the Oscar, <laughs> but that is now a myth. Oh, really? Um, you know, we were able to get right into the Vanity Fair party. Well, and that's that was the big one. The big party. Yeah, that's the big Our mistake was leaving that too early to try to go to the Madonna party right. and the Jay-Z party. Right. The Madonna party apparently was shut down. <laughs> and the Jay-Z party, you take out the Oscar, you think it's like, you know, your social currency. <laughs> nope. Can't get in with it. And the night was cut short. Well, those are also at houses, so it's a little different. They can get shut down. But Vanity Fair is at, like... The Annenberg Center. So yeah, it's a well, little... the Jay Z one I believe is at uh, Chateau Marmont. Oh, okay. So oh, okay. I was like, oh, interesting. I don't hmm. know about this place anymore. But when you were walking around with the BAFTA, you posted some pictures t- with Taylor Swift, yes, with, uh, Prince William and Kate. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty. Um, that's pretty cool. Very cool. Uh, Taylor was like sitting right behind our table in like the big banquet hall and nobody was really talking to her i don't know if people just didn't know she was even there or what the deal was (laughs) so i noticed her and i was like she might be bigger in america you know yeah (laughs) um yeah i'm sure she's still big out there but yeah uh she was she was very cool and accommodating um and friendly and congratulatory yeah Yeah. that, that was very cool and then um the wga awards come and another movie wins and i was like Black Lightning still has it. I, I even wrote you on Facebook. I was like, I consider myself <laughs> an Oscar expert, and you guys are going to win. Because I've been writing, I mean, I've been doing Oscar articles since college, like predicting, and there's just certain patterns, and you could just feel it going a certain way. Mm-hmm. And it felt like Black Klansman had to win something, and it felt like Screenplay was the one it was going to win. And then, especially like Spike Lee's never won, he shares writing credit with you guys. Yep. So it felt like, you know, it was going your way. And then the WGA kind of like tripped it up a little bit, but I just didn't feel like, can you ever forgive me, which one adapted, like had the momentum to also get the Oscar at that point. Right. Well, you know, it was a smaller movie and um, anytime you have Spike Lee in your corner, totally, it's always helpful. Yeah. Um, so let's, we'll talk about the awards and then we'll go back to how Black Klansman happened. I guess we'll do it in that order. Um, okay. So you're, you, your parents fly out to LA for the awards and take me through what that day is like. Had you been able to sleep leading up to it? Um, I was able to sleep just fine, but I, I definitely started to get jitters at the beginning of the day. Okay. Um, 
you know, I tried on my tux again and I <laughs> realized that it, the pants weren't fitting me. So I had to very early in the morning, get them taken in to get adjusted even though previously the place I bought them were like, no, the pants are fine. Right. Like, no, they're That's, very clearly not. Feels like a curb your enthusiasm kind of day. Exactly. Like so I had a rush job right. uh, at Pico Cleaners. Oh, nice. And, uh, you know, after that was done, I, I managed to just grab a sandwich. I met up with my parents and Dave's parents and Dave. We all got in to uh, uh, like an Escalade and made the trip it. out there. Um, Amazing. And I was nervous. I was already drinking. <laughs> That's good. I mean, you have to do it, I guess, on, on the way. I was, well, I would have brought a flask, but I wouldn't, didn't want to do that in front of my parents. Right. Um, so I, I, <laughs> I maybe had a shot or two before I right. and they was a, picked up. And they have a bar when you get there. Right? They do have a bar, and I did excuse myself uh, during a commercial break to get another drink. Good. That's good. Um, um, so but before you even get inside, you do the red carpet. That must have been very cool. You, you and David each had your mom with you on the red carpet. That's right. And so how, what was that like? Just surreal? Is it all kind of out of body from the second you step out? I think so. I think so. You know, the roads are all cleared away. There's security everywhere. So much security. Um, and, and yeah, it's uh, once you step on the red carpet, it's real. Yeah. No turning back. No turning back. Who do you remember seeing when you were walking on the red carpet? Uh, I remember one of the first people we saw was Ron Stallworth, funny enough. Oh, wow. Um, he was just walking around with uh, his wife. That's cool that he got to go. Yeah, it's, I'm so glad that he was able to go. Yeah, Black Clansman's based on his life and his book. Right. That's so cool. You know, because he didn't end up going to Cannes, and I don't know, you know, if that was the studio just not paying for him or, or right. whatever the reason was, but, you know, I felt that he should have been there at every major event. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. And so the show starts. I'm watching the show. The, I remember the first thing I see is the front row. So the front row, I'm good friends with Chris Evans. First thing I see is Chris Evans and Scott Evans, his brother, front row. Mm -hmm. I was like, those two have the best Oscar seats I've ever seen. They're between Glenn Close and Regina King, who at that time I was like, both of them are going to win, I thought. Next to Glenn Close is Rami Malek. Next to them is Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. So I was like, this front row looks like all winners, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I see every time they cut to Spike Lee and Jordan Peele and you, you guys were right along the aisle right behind them. Yeah. Um, so... That must have been pretty surreal, sitting there, seeing all these faces that you grew up watching in, in movies. Oh, yeah. I mean, the seats were incredible. Um, still, that, so, somehow my agent managed to get even better seats. <laughs> really? He got in like, I don't know how he was able to slip <laughs> into the show. but That's funny. Um, agents have a way. Of agents do have a way. Um, but yeah, I was sitting behind uh, Jordan and periodically just like whispering things in his ear that was cool. nervously and trying to get him to calm me down as he got closer and closer to our nomination. It was so cool. Yeah. And every time they showed a reaction shot, it was you and your mom. So I was like keeping tabs on you guys <laughs> the whole time. Um, and I'm glad you took the aisle seat. I would do the exact same thing. I would be right there. On oh, the I didn't get to choose it. They oh, just really? put me there. Oh, they yeah. signed it? Oh, I'm that's glad cool. they put me there. Yeah. Maybe they, they knew what was about to go down. <laughs> um, so they, they start handing out awards. First award is Best Supporting Actress, Regina King, If Beale Street Could Talk. Um, I've loved her. I, you were too young, maybe, but she was on a show called 227 in the 80s that my sister and I used to watch. So we've known Regina King our whole lives. Hmm. Um, Chris Evans helps her up the stairs. Then they do Best Supporting Actor, Mahershala Ali, Green Book. So it starts to be going all the ways like I was predicting. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, everything's sort of lining up exactly how it's supposed to. Yeah. Um, so later they get to Best Live Action Short. And my last episode on the podcast was with Jamie Ray Newman and Guy Nativ, who won for Skin. So I'm already rooting for them. And Kristen Ritter comes out and like 
presents it to them and Kristen Ritter's on Jessica Jones on Netflix, yeah. uh, which is a Marvel show. And Jamie is on The Punisher, which is a Marvel show on Netflix. So immediately I'm like, this is going to work out. So then after that, I literally said, Charlie's next. And Samuel L. Jackson comes out with Brie Larson to present. And I'm like, of course they want Samuel L. Jackson to mm -hmm. give an Oscar to Spike Lee because that's like a huge moment. So I'm like, it's happening. So first they give original screenplay, so you had to wait a little bit. But when you see Samuel L. Jackson, are you like, we got this? Or did that thought cross your oh, mind? Oh, that, that thought did not cross my mind really? at all. Um, and a lot of it has to do with, like, we had a, a like a, a nominees dinner with other writers uh, that the Guild put together, or the Academy put together, rather. And I had spoken with uh, someone who is on the committee, and I was asking, I was like, this was like a couple days before the Oscars. I was like, so uh, how many people know of the results? <laughs> And she's like, none of us do. Huh? She's like, it's uh, Price Waterhouse Coopers. Right, those uh, two accounts. It, it's or it's uh, under wraps, and it's all confidential, and no one finds out until literally when that open envelope is opened. Crazy. So you know, it was possible anyway that the producers were like, well, maybe Spike has a shot of winning this category. Let's totally. get Samuel Jackson up there. Absolutely. Um, but yeah. I, I, Unless she was lying to me, which I don't think she was. No, no, was. no. I just think, I think they did that in the event that it happened. I don't totally. think they knew yeah. it was going to happen, but I think that they knew that if it did, it would be in like a very memorable moment. Yeah. I mean, I was. totally like blacked out during uh, the nomination being announced. <laughs> I remember I, I reached over and I like grabbed Dave's wrist and I just sort of like looked at him and then like closed my eyes. I couldn't oh even God. watch like the previews of the movies. <laughs> and I was just using, it was all sensory, all listening at that point. I love it. And like, once I heard my name, it was really funny because like. Your name was first. My name was first and I immediately like jumped up out of my seat and like punched the air. <laughs> and in that moment, I was like looking around, just sensing how quiet it was. Yeah. Because I don't think anybody really was able to process who had won. Right. Except me. Right. Um, right. I know what you're saying. Because he, <laughs> like, he didn't say Black Klansman yet. He didn't say Spike Lee yet. It was still. Time just stopped. Yeah. That's so cool. And I remember like right after he said David Rabinowitz, Kevin Wilmot, Kevin Wilmot, like somewhere in between there, Spike, <laughs> I think, turned to his wife and he's like. Whose names did they just say? Wow. So like he himself was processing it too. Um, and there's four names, so it's a lot. It, yeah, and right, exactly. But you could tell by Samuel L. Jackson's reaction, like he was stoked. So there was a reason for that. It had to it when had he to like that way. belt it out before he actually read the names, that was probably like the longest moment of my life. Right. What did he say? Like I don't know what Morehouse he said. Morehouse or the house or something. I, look, like yeah, that. looking back, I think it was like maybe a Morehouse thing. Yeah. But at the time, it was like... Oh, yeah. At the time, I can't even imagine. It was just a <laughs> surprise. <clears throat> and I remember, so I rewatched it. You hug your mom, you hug Jordan Peele, and you just book onto that stage. That's right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, you know... You hug Brie Larson. I hug Brie Larson. I, I tried to hug everybody on the stage. <laughs> I guess nobody really was, like, out there hugging like I was. <laughs> But it was great. It reminded me of like when Matt Damon and Ben Affleck won and like when Cuba Gooding Jr. won. And they're just like, it's like there's so much energy and so effusive and they're just like so happy, you know? Yeah. And it felt like that. It, yeah. And and people are, you know, all like asking me, well, you know, did you feel bad not being able to speak on the microphone or right. whatever and say a little something? And I was like, are you kidding me? Once they put that Oscar in your hand. Oh, yeah. 
nothing matters. Right. Nothing else matters. Right. I mean, I would have liked for you guys to get a chance to say a couple words, um, but it's hard. I mean, I was planning on it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I was planning on it, but the way things were going and the way previous speakers were kind of getting cut off and right. muted, I was like, look, if if this goes the full way, like it is what it is, yeah. you know, we're here. Right. Well, that was the other thing. It's too, it's like Spike Lee's in his sixties. He's been waiting since the eighties. Yeah. Know? And so it's you, his moment. you knew he was going to take the moment. Well, it's not his moment. It's all your, moments. it's all of our moments, but, but it's, he it's, was going to take the moment. So you would hope that like the producers of the Oscars would, you know, after Spike does his speech, you know, not cut it off and not cut to commercial to make sure since there were four winners that everyone could say something, but it just seemed like the way it was going. You guys were celebrating back there. Spike said something like do the right thing. And it was just the moment that they go out on that. Oh know? yeah. It, it, it felt like the right moment. And I've watched these, you know, telecasts, how many years on end, like, right. I know how it works. <laughs> right. I get it. You yeah. just kind of have to feel it out rhythmically. Totally. Yeah. But had there been a moment you would have jumped up there. Yeah. Had there been an opening. Definitely. And what would you have said? I would have said something along the lines of, uh, you know, ideally you want to thank everyone. Right. Everyone. <laughs> but uh, it probably would have boiled down to, you know, I want to thank my mom and dad for their love and support and for all the moms and dads out there who uh, push their kids to chase their dreams. Something nice. like that. That would be very nice. Yeah. Short, sweet, to the point. I, I probably wouldn't thank any like business people because once you thank one, <laughs> right, exactly, they the don't rest leave are anybody come after you, right? Yeah, and I did. Spike thank the like the he just more made a speech, a general speech. He didn't really get into I think he, like I the, think he uh, uh, mentioned his wife and his kids, right? But he didn't get into like cast and crew about the movie. I don't specifically. think so. No. Yeah, because it's true. Once you start. Um, I mean, uh, speaking as somebody, but who, he did name like everybody at the Baftas. Oh, he did. Yeah, oh, okay. he went through a whole list. Do they not cut you off there, or do they give you more chances? Um, I think they give you more more of a leeway chance. there. Yeah, interesting. Oh, but I they know. run a very tight ship <laughs> too over there. Yeah. Well, the Oscars, it's like ninety seconds, but I think that includes getting up to the stage or something crazy, is what they like suggest but i think they let spike go a little longer yeah. um but i mean as somebody who's dr i've dreamt about it my entire life it's like you rehearse that speech in the shower you're like every chance you get you're like daily you wonder like what would i say in my oscar speech but at least you got to like be up there and everyone knows how you feel you know your parents know how appreciative you are you had them there with you exactly so you can always think about that yeah and at, you know it, it wasn't like you know i think you always dream about having that oscar moment but for me like in the days leading up to it the fact that there were four writers on this thing and the fact that, you know, Spike was sort of the de facto spokesperson, <laughs> yeah. um, it, it kind of took off the pressure of having to, like, come up with anything. It's like, okay, if time allows, maybe I'll say this. But, you know, you don't have to come up with a full spiel. <laughs> right. It's not all on you. Yeah. Right. So then they take you backstage. Right. Yeah. That was, uh, that was something. Yeah. And um, then take us through that. Take us through what happened. Yeah. So, so... Brie Larson and Samuel Jackson are walking us backstage and they're about to like, you know, a bunch of people are shaking our hands and congratulating us and taking pictures. And, you know, we're about to go out back to our seats, but they had closed the door for, you know, commercials and everything. Right. Um, so we weren't allowed back out. So then Brie Larson asks us if you want to take shots. So <laughs> she takes us to the back bar area, which I don't know why we wouldn't just have gone there in the first place. Right. 
and we're doing tequila shots with Brie Larson. Amazing. Um, Who right now has the number one movie in the world. Exactly. Captain Marvel. And uh, the entire back bar was like just crawling with celebrities. <laughs> right. It was very surreal. All the winners like, and presenters. Yeah, as uh, like Michael Keaton, Francis McDormand, Samuel Jackson again, uh, James McAvoy, Amy Adams, Michael B. Jordan, just like I love it. He's a who's f- who. He's a fellow Jersey guy. Michael yes, B. he is. He's yeah. done the podcast before. Okay, yeah, he's got a great story. Um, that's so cool. I love that. And then we uh, did you have to do the press room? We or Spike did that. That part is a little bit of a blur. I think we uh, we we took a quick photo did a photo shoot and then like you know it's such a blur yeah um, i do remember though they do seeing like a, lady gaga and uh after she won after she won or we won before her i don't remember but she was back there and uh i gave her a kiss on the cheek i love it she was actually very supportive from the front row she was cheering everybody out yeah she she's looks, super cool yeah she looks cool uh and so you're backstage, and I know they do, like, some, like, portrait, right? They give you, like, an Oscar portrait, mm-hmm. and then they engrave the plaque on your Oscar, right? Yeah. Did you watch did, them do that? They did that at the uh, the Governor's Ball. They have all the, you know, the gold labels pre-printed. Right. And uh, they put your name. They just sort of screw it in right in front of you. Oh, they already had your name printed? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And so what I thought was cool, too, I saw Jamie Ray Newman and Guy Nativ's Oscar. It's like they each get their own with their name first. So yours has your name first. I guess Spike's has his name first. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. It is very cool. <laughs> Top billing on your own Oscar. Mm-hmm. So it makes it very unique to you. Um, now, this is very cool, too. So you guys are backstage, and then, but they're still presenting Black Landsman to the audience as like a nominee for Best Picture. So of all people, they have Barbara Streisand come out to present uh, Black Landsman as a nominee because she loved the movie so much. Mm-hmm. She's from Brooklyn. Spike Lee's from Brooklyn. So... All I'm thinking is, because your parents are from Brooklyn, my parents are from Brooklyn, I was like, as if it's not exciting enough that Charlie just won an Oscar. (laughs) Now Barbara Streisand, who's like the Brooklyn icon, is coming out to talk about how much she loves his movie. Like I was like, his parents, it's as if it's already not enough, they're going to like pass out. Like what else could possibly happen? And my mom was like itching to meet her. Right, of course. She finally did. Oh, she did? Yeah. Great. One of the after parties. I hope she told her my son wrote Black Klansman. Oh, I'm sure she did. (laughs) What's amazing to me is that I think about Hollywood history as Oscar winners. So it's almost like, you know, you put it in the record books, like what won that year. So we can think back and be like, oh, that's the year like Forrest Gump won Best Picture and Pulp Fiction won Best Screenplay. Or, you know, that's the year Titanic won Best Picture and Goodwill Hunting won Best Screenplay. So like this is the year that Green Book won Best Picture and Black Klansman won Best Screenplay. And it kind of like... That's 2018's movies, like, in the record books. You know what I mean? So it's, like, for you guys to have put your stamp on that is, like, a piece of Hollywood history. I mean, it's unbelievable. It it never stops being surreal to us. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, 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 we're very lucky. We're just very lucky. Yeah. And it's an idea that you guys had that wouldn't have happened without your initial idea to turn into a movie. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it started well, well. It started with Ron, um, right? Living, living. The thank experience. God for that, right? Um, <laughs> and then you know, I think it was just every, all the stars aligned. Yeah, you know, you get Spike Lee, you get Jordan Peele. Yeah, it's just the right people at the right time doing yeah. the right project. Um, something else that's very cool for people who are big, you know, Oscar followers out there. Um, this is one of the first years where I remember where every one of the Best Picture nominees won something. Like sometimes movies go home empty-handed. But this year, um, Green Book won Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, Best Original Screenplay. 
Black Klansman won Best Adapted Screenplay. Bohemian Rhapsody won Best Actor, Best Editing, Sound Editing, and Sound Mixing. The Favorite won Best Actress, Olivia Colman. Roma won Best Director, Alfonso Cuaron. Best Cinematography, Best Foreign Film. A Star is Born won Best Original Song for Shallow. Black Panther won Costume Design, Production Design, Original Score, and Vice won Makeup and Hairstyling. So every Best Picture nominee got something, which I thought was very cool, and you guys represented. Um, so now you're done backstage. You have your plaque. You have your Oscar. You go to the parties. Um, when did you reunite with your parents? How did that happen? Oh, no. I, I was able to get back in to see the rest of the show. Oh, you did? Oh, um, good. For, I think, the the Best Director oh, that's and cool. Best Picture Oh, that's exciting. Uh, announcements. Right. Because those like, could have gone to Black Landsman, so you had to be Yeah. Like yeah. But of course, you know, you're, you're sitting there with the statue and you're <laughs> right. just kind of like zoned out. <laughs> right. Just like getting ready for the after parties by that point. Is your phone just going off with text messages? I wasn't looking at my phone at that point. Yeah. But afterwards, like when we got to the parties, I was like, mm-hmm. I've never had this many text messages <laughs> right. or emails. Right. Well, that's so, the thing. It's seen by supposedly a billion people around the world. It's a huge moment. It's like bigger than anyone. Is it really that many? I be- it was when we were kids. I don't know yeah. if it still is, but. Maybe. Yeah. It's definitely one of the most watched events worldwide. For sure. Um, so you reunite with your parents in the audience. You go to the parties. What do you remember about the Vanity Fair party? Like, who did you talk to? I remember, like, we show up, we cut the entire line with our Oscars uh, <laughs> and our parents and the photographers all want to take photos of us. So we do a quick you know, photo <laughs> sesh it. on the red carpet. I love it. And we walk in and my dad turns to the left and he's like, hey, look, there's Elton John. Yep. And we turn and it was Elton John. Yep. And so I went up to him. I shook his hand. He was very cool. He looks exactly like what you would expect him <laughs> to look like in right. real life. And you've got your Oscar in your other hand, so... Yeah, I've every, got... Everyone's going to talk to you. Exactly. Everyone except Andy Samberg. Really? Um, Andy Samberg, I don't know if he was joking or not or what his deal was, but like... Wasn't interested. I, he was not having it. He's like, really? oh, I, I don't like those things. Oh. And I'm like, oh, He okay. had to be kidding, but it just uh, probably didn't land. <laughs> mm, it was something. <laughs> didn't work. Interesting. He, no, it's like... I, I feel like it's kidding when you like, you know, you, you smile afterwards, right. but he sort of just like turned <laughs> his back and like resumed whatever he was doing. Oh, that's a good story. So I was like, ah, oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, but the other SNL people there were very cool. Yeah. Um, I saw you posted a picture with Topher Grace pretending to take the Oscar from you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he oh. should have been nominated, by the way. I thought he was. He, I, he, I he had a very understated gem of a performance yeah, and sometimes understated just doesn't do it for the yeah, Oscar but he voters. was like also like the comic relief which I like yeah um so tell me like more conversations that you had at the Vanity Fair party that like there were a lot of remember. athletes there yeah. um talk with Scotty Pippen and oh, that must have been cool for your dad as a basketball yeah <laughs> and Odell Beckham Jr so cool. I was trying to convince Odell Beckham to come play for the Miami Dolphins <laughs> uh he wasn't having that he wasn't into it um, it is like a fairy tale. Like you could just walk around this room holding your Oscar, talking to anyone you've ever wanted to talk to. Yeah, except Andy Samberg. Except Andy Samberg. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was everyone was there. It was you know I saw some people I used to work with years back, and it was it was very nice. Yeah, it's awesome. Nick Kroll was there. Yeah, Serena Williams. Serena, yep. Um, I love it. The fact that your mom talked to Barbara Streisand, I think, is pretty. Epic. Um, so now, did you not want the night to ever end? Were you like, yeah, I was. I was. I, I already said from the beginning. I was like, if we win somehow, I'm not going to sleep tonight. Right. Period. Right. 
um, until I did. Right. It's like you don't want the carriage to turn back into a pumpkin. <laughs> it's like, right. Let's not go back to reality. Um, so now eventually the night does end, right? You have to call it. You go home. Were you able to fall asleep? I would not have been able to fall asleep. Um, I guess eventually you just crash. I, I was able to crash. I was able to fall asleep. I believe I went to sleep with the Oscar next to me. I love it. I don't want to let that thing out of my sight. I would do the same. Um, <laughs> so then you wake up the next morning. And I wake up the next morning and, and I'm like, wow, now I have like two weeks of homework to just get back to people. <laughs> right, right. But it, you're holding the Oscar when you wake up and you're just like, it really happened. Yeah, um, it, it really happened. Incredible. And so the next day Spike Lee was posting Instagrams about it. And what I did like was that he posted a close-up of the plaque, you know, on his Oscar as an Instagram. And it says Spike Lee, Charlie Wachtel, like on the same line. Yeah. So you got your shout out. Oh, way, yeah. Which was very cool. Yeah, super cool. I um, I actually gave Spike a little gift um, right before the ceremony started. He's a big uh, sports card collector, and I found that out. And so I wanted to give him a couple cards for my collection. Really? From your own collection? From my own collection. And uh, the first card, it was two cards. The first card was a John David Washington NFL rookie card on the Rams because he played a he year played? Oh my gosh. in the NFL. And um, not a lot of people know that. And he he's played in star. college in the NFL. He's a star of black Klansman. Wow. Exactly. I did not know that. And uh, the second card was a a Reggie Miller game jersey basketball card. And I told him, because, you know, Reggie's clutch, and this is <laughs> for good luck tonight. Did you put him in, like, any kind of protective case? I put him in a very soft, protective case, something that he was able to easily slip into his sport coat, which he did. And what did he say? And he was grateful. He said, thank you very much. That's so nice. Yeah. And you're like, good luck charms, and then you guys won, so obviously it worked. Mm -hmm. um, there was a very cool photo that Entertainment Weekly took of Spike Lee the next morning. Have you seen it at the Beverly Hills Hotel pool? There were a lot of photos. So there's a there's this iconic photo for people who don't know. First of all, Beverly Hills Hotel is my favorite place in LA. Uh, there's a counter there that I, if you haven't been, it's my favorite place to go to lunch. It's called the Fountain Coffee Room. It's like 19 stools around this counter, mm -hmm. and you go there, and it's like Paul Thomas Anderson. It's like it's just the coolest room. You know, nice. it's like a little diner counter, but they make the food right in front of you. It's just my favorite spot. So right outside there on the wall is this giant photo of Faye Dunaway. From 1977, the day after she won the Oscar for Best Actress for Network. And she's sitting in a chair and she's leaning back at the Beverly Hills Hotel pool. And the table and the floor, the ground underneath her are covered in newspapers. And she's got her Oscar. And it's like iconic. And they recreated it, Spike Lee, in the same spot oh, at really? the Beverly Hills Hotel in a chair, newspapers, his Oscar. And it was so cool to me because I was like, I've loved that photo forever, this Faye Danaway Oscar photo. And just, I've never seen someone recreate it, and they did it almost as perfectly I'll have to as they could. Yeah. So, but again, like his Oscar sitting there with your name on it. So your like name is in this recreation of this iconic Faye Dunaway photo at the Beverly Hills Hotel. So I thought that was very cool. It's called like the morning after. Um, so that was cool. But so now you have this Oscar, and you're coming down from the high. Um, now. Take, explain to people now, let's go through the path of how this all kind of happened. So you had the internship for Akiva Goldsman. Mm -hmm. And I remember you and I got coffee by my place, the coffee being like Robertson, Beverly, do you remember? Yeah. And you were like, I have all these options of what I can do next. Do I stick with this internship? Do I take the next step? And I was like... Options in quotes. No, you did. I mean, you had, I remember UTA to work at UTA, right? In the mailroom there. Mm -hmm. And you ended up choosing that. 
right? Yeah. And, but you never wanted to be an agent. It was kind no, of just like it was a means no, to an end. I had never, I never ever envisioned myself working at a talent agency. Right. And a lot of people will say the same. Um, but when you learn about just sort of how the Hollywood assistant, you know, trajectory works with most people, you can't just get a job working for a producer or at a production company. Right you know, as an assistant, you have to, there's a, there's a pathway. Right. And they want to see that you can, you know, cut your teeth, you know, in a place like, you know, United Talent Agency. And it's a paid, it's mailroom, you get paid, right? You get paid peanuts. Right. But more than, <laughs> but you still get paid. Right. Yeah. So internship that, was not paid. Right. Was that part of it? Like it was like, I could stay at the Kiva Goldsman Weed Road internship or I can take well, a paying job at UTA. The, no, the internships were, I think, designed to last like three or four months. Um, probably because they felt just bad not paying you for them. Right. So yeah, it, it was my hope to find a paying job after that. And I was lucky enough to, somebody had referred me. I still don't even till this day really know who it was. Um, and how long were you there at UTA? I was there for like a little over a year and a half until right. I got a job working for a producer, this guy, Michael Benaroya, right. um, the company that did Margin Call. Yep. And, uh, you know, that was, that was great because I had finally just gotten out of that agency <laughs> world. Yeah. And I had started to build my Rolodex. And I worked there for about like a ye uh, two years. And then I got hired to work for a commercial director uh, this guy, Stephen Kessler, who also mm -hmm. is the director of Vegas Vacation and the Paul Williams documentary. Right. Um, and that lasted another couple of years or so. So you I, were steadily working your way up. I was steadily working my way up, but I was also kind of getting into advertising at that point because it was entering my mind, like, this directing, this writing stuff, you may not be able to do it for a living. So It's tough. I got, you know, into binge watching Mad Men. And then I discovered that copywriting was actually a thing that existed. <laughs> yep. And people get paid to creatively write for brands. And uh, that became an option in my mind. And I followed that path. I, you know, I never went to school for advertising. So I, you know, made the trek to San Diego Portfolio Studio to try to build my portfolio. Um, I, you know, worked at a boutique small marketing agency I was able to parlay that into getting some remote gigs, writing commercials and uh, TV uh, radio ads, no, TV ads rather. And yeah, after that, I, I was able to slip into an ad agency. Were you missing the Hollywood stuff at this point or you were focused on I was still, stuff? yeah, I was still doing uh, Hollywood stuff on the side. I was still writing. Um, my very last job in advertising was working for Beachbody. And I was a, a copywriter working on uh, their new website. Okay. And so uh, it was at that time when I got the Beachbody gig, I was already deep into Black Klansman. I had already, you know, written it. And oh, really? We had, you know, got the offer on it, but it was still being negotiated did by David, all parties. Did David live in L.A. for a bit of David did live in the L.A. by then. So yeah. he moved out here also to, to be a screenwriter, and you guys were like, let's partner up? Yep, yep. We decided to join forces. He moved out like a like three or four years after me, and we joined forces after writing one TV pilot together. Oh, I love it. So Black Landsman was the second thing we wrote. It's incredible. And uh, I was just on Facebook one day, and 
uh, doing what you're not supposed to be doing, I guess. And uh, <laughs> a former classmate of mine posted this article, this Vice article um, about Black Klansmen. And I read the article. There was a link to this memoir on Kindle. I sent it to David. We both read it. And, you know, we ordered the book on Kindle. We saw that this was a book that wasn't in bookstores. It was a small-time publisher. And we thought to ourselves, this is a movie. But it's probably in development somewhere. So we did some light research online. We didn't find out, you know, we saw that it wasn't set up at a studio. Yep. One thing led to the next, and there was an email address for the publisher in the book jacket. So we sent an email. The publisher put us in touch with uh, the manager of Ron Stallworth, who put us in touch with Ron. And we then engaged in a series of you know phone calls with Ron where we sold him on our vision for how we would want to adapt this to a, a film. So you didn't adapt it until you spoke to him? Correct. Right. Correct. Yeah, we had to get permission. Yeah. Um, we never got the rights on this ever, um, which was scary because, you know, anyone who knows anything about Hollywood, you could, you know, it's very easy to get screwed over in this type of situation. <laughs> yep. So we basically put together a one sheet uh, of what our summary of how we would adapt this into a movie, the key characters, the key plots, you know, making the partner character Jewish, all that good stuff. Yeah. And, uh, we met with him in Newport Beach because he was in town doing a book signing. And we interviewed him uh, for a few hours and just hung out together and got to know him and really tried to just build trust with him. And it was at that point that we were in. We were we were working with him and whatever happened, happened, you know. So I, he gave you the blessing to go adapt the screenplay, but not the right. Correct. <laughs> okay. We never got the rights. That's still um, pretty good. And it was, yeah, it's... But it's tough. It's tough. I mean, it was. For, we were very fortunate that we, uh, Ron and his manager, his manager came from a music background, so they didn't really have a pipeline to the entertainment community in Hollywood. Had they been approached before about the rights to turn into a movie? What's funny is, yes. And I didn't know about this until like a few months ago. From, really? From now. Um they apparently, somebody had snatched up the rights. Uh, I think it was a, a management production company and the rights expired and they expired right around the time that I discovered the story. Amazing. So somebody, somebody dropped the ball. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. And so you guys now adapt the screenplay mm -hmm. and you and David work on that. How long did it take you guys to work on that? Because you still had your other job? Yeah. From, from the time we discovered the story until the day we got an offer on the script, seven months. Okay. So July of 2015 and early 2016, we got the offer. So the entire situation, this was just a fast-moving snowball. Right. Um, so the draft that you got the offer on took seven months? That draft was like, I want to say it was like the third or fourth draft, um, we had started out by doing a detailed outline, and then uh, Sean Reddick and Ray Mansfield and Sean McKittrick, QC Entertainment, came into the picture. Um, I ran into Sean, and you know we were talking, and I just, in passing, mentioned this project that I was working on to him, and he's like, you know, uh, shoot me an email. Um, <laughs> With the my email's on IMDb Pro. You can go check it out. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay. I email him. A couple weeks go by. I don't hear anything. And I'm just like, oh, you know, whatever. I, we're 
still writing it now anyway. So, you know, we're going to be able to send it out to a bunch of people in the future. Right. I thought, decided to follow up with him, which was a good idea because he, I guess my email went to a spam folder or something. Wow. Yeah. Always follow up, actually. Always follow up. People aren't intentionally ignoring you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I followed up and emailed me back. He told me he's working on this movie uh, with Jordan Peele called Get Out, which right. is this cool. I was like, oh, wow, Jordan doing horror. I heard about that movie. You know, right. that's really cool. I can't wait to see it, blah, 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 blah. Right. And at the time, we were talking about having Jordan play the lead. Okay. Because he's like, who do you envision as Ron Stallworth? Jordan Peele. Wow. Um, so it kind of just made sense at the, that time. And something changed in his email to me, in Sean's email to me, because uh, very quickly – the enthusiasm, the level of enthusiasm starting to, you know, pick up. And he then asked, like, I want to bring you in. We, we want, let's develop this together. Had you sent him the script or just kind of like No, I just sort pitch. of, I sent him an article and I had, I said, like, look, we're, we're on the outline stage of this. We're going to be done with the script. We're on track to be done by 2016. Right. And for those who don't know, by the way, it's about a black man who infiltrates the KKK. And so in Hollywood, there's the whole elevator pitch. And so when you say that line, it's very catchy because like all of a sudden it's like a true story, but a black man who infiltrates the KKK. So immediately you're going to get people's attention. Yeah. I always think like if this was not a true story, people wouldn't want to make it because (laughs) they'd be like, this is just ridiculous and contrived. it It could possibly happen. Right. So uh, Sean gets very excited. He talks to his partners. He invites us in to pitch it. And so while we're putting together this treatment, this outline, we're now like, oh, crap. We're, we have to come up with a pitch on the fly. So we, we put together this like concise eight to ten minute pitch. Uh, David and I memorized the entire thing. We, oh, we wow. walked in like it was a performance. Like actors. We were like finishing each other's sentences. <laughs> and it felt like we sold the pitch in the room. Now, this company was not equipped to quote unquote, buy pitches right. um, at the time. But still, you know, it was very clear their eyes had lit up. And by the end, they're like, we think we can green light this and get this into production by this date. And we'll, we can, you know, try to approach, you know, Jordan Peele because we, you know, we, we have his ear, we're working with him. Um, and so it kind of just went from there. And right after that, they asked us for a scriptment. So we took our Outline treatment and very quickly turns it into a scriptment, which we'd never done that before. Yeah, how many? How long is a scriptment? Uh, I think our scriptment was like 40, 45 pages or something. But a scriptment is very helpful because it's, you know, you're fitting in action lines and pieces of dialogue. Right. And it really helps you, you know, start your scenes yeah, like when you get into the writing story. process. Right. Um, and they were on board with that. You know, they didn't, they never acquired the script until we actually gave them uh, a draft, a written draft. But, but they, they were sort of informally sort yeah. of, you know, walking us along and, you know, giving us their thoughts on every draft, whatever. Right. And they knew that you had the real Ron Stallworth's, like, blessing and you were connected to him and you were communicating with him. Yeah. So it made you guys, that's a valuable connection, you know, for that story. Exactly. And, you know, we eventually just sort of, you know, introduced Ron and his manager to them. Ron flew in, he sat down with them. And it was very important for us to, for Ron to be impressed with them because they can't acquire our script until they acquire his rights. Exactly. 
And that was the scary part because early on in the process, we had an offer on the table and they were trying to concurrently negotiate both sides. Little did we know that uh, Ron, for whatever reason, um, probably business related or I, I can't say, uh, hadn't responded to the offer. And mm. a few weeks gone by, I get a call from the producer and he's like, we're going to have to you know, hit the pause button on this because he doesn't look like he's willing to give up his rights at this time. Hmm. And so at that point, David and I are like kind of low key <laughs> freaking out. We're right. like, we just, right. you know, worked our butts off and we, we felt we played this, played our cards right the whole way through. And, you know, I thought the whole point was this, you know, we want to make this a movie. Right. Um, but who knows what the reason was, uh, you know, they ended up coming back to the table pretty quickly after that, a couple of weeks after. And were you able to talk to Ron in that time and be like, come on, let's make this happen? Or? I, I didn't I didn't want to bother him or yeah. try to influence him because, That's you know, nice. it's it's business. And I, I understand that. Right. So. So now when did Jordan Peele officially come on? As a so, producer? yeah, Jordan uh, was sent the book and the script and he came on as a producer. Pretty much we were told right after then. So he got um, the completed script when it was ready. Mm -hmm. And at this point, had Get Out come out in theaters? Get Out had not come oh, out. It, um, it was still 2016. And Jordan was thinking about uh, potentially also acting as the lead right. and potentially directing. Oh, wow. And so later in 2016, months after the back and forth negotiations ended with all the lawyers and everything, we were called into the office at QC Entertainment to meet with them and Jordan. And Jordan really took the lead on giving us notes for a rewrite. We were hired for a rewrite. And oh, great. it was, I think that was one of the first moments where it's like, okay, this is, this is happening. Yeah. And it's also great too, because for writers out there who know that um, sometimes they can bring a different writer in to do the rewrite. So the fact that they were giving you guys the opportunity absolutely was very nice. <laughs> yes. Um, so that that was really special for us. And, you know, at the time, it's like Jordan Peele, like Jordan Peele's thinking about directing this movie. It's right. a it's a crime drama with some comedic elements to it. You know, he he wasn't really a proven force in the feature world, right. let alone like working in a genre like this. And so, you know, me just being me, you know, I had my reservations from the beginning. I was like, okay, well, as long as he's passionate about it blah, 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 blah. Flash forward a few months, Get Out comes out, does gangbusters. <laughs> Huge. And, you know, we're like, crap, we're not going to be able to get him now. <laughs> but he was going to be a producer either way. He was still a producer. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Blumhouse came on board and we get a call a couple months later in the summer. Uh, Spike Lee is flying out to L.A. He loves the script. He loves the story. He wants Amazing. to do it. He wants to meet the producers. Unbelievable. Very unbelievable. Yeah. And so Blumhouse came on because Get Out was such a hit that they probably were like, we want to be involved in whatever Jordan Peele is doing next. Mm -hmm. And that was Black Klansman as a producer. And then they had the idea of Spike Lee. And Spike Lee obviously signs on. And now at what point do Spike and Kevin get involved in the script? Like, how did that happen? Uh, we essentially handed the baton off to Spike and Kevin once they came on board. Okay. You know, we, our job was done. Right. You were like, as long as we have writer credit and producer credit, you know, you yeah. guys can take a swing at it. Yeah. 
So, and that's that's just how it works. That's that's how Hollywood is sometimes. Right. And so when the movie's actually filming, so you guys weren't on set for that? We were not on set. Or involved in the casting? I I was involved with David in, in conversations about the casting. Yeah. You know, we would very frequently look at some names and give our thoughts or send some thoughts of our own. But, you know, uh, you know, we didn't have any, like, we didn't wield any actual power. <laughs> right. So when the, the movie, once Spike Lee comes on, it gets greenlit by Blumhouse? Or how does how did the green light happen? Um, it was... I think it was greenlit once Focus Features came on and they saw the whole package with right. Spike Lee. And, you know, this was after the Charlottesville right. stuff was going on and, you know, the, the Trump mania right. was happening in this country. Right, the timing was just and, perfect and for this movie. There was an urgency um, to get this thing filmed in uh, the same year. Wow. Um or rather before the year had ended. And if we weren't able to do that, then it wasn't going to get a release next year. And who knows how timely it would have been. Right. So there That's was there was a pull. Yeah. And a lot of stars aligned. And Jordan Peele's movie being so huge and Blumhouse and Spike coming on and being available oh, yeah. to be his next movie. Um, I had read something. Is this true that the events in, the, in real life happened in like 1979, but the... Spike Lee made it 1972 or something like that? Well, the book, yeah, the book ranges from like 1972 to 1979. Um, but so, they like condensed it all. Yeah, so it's it's sort of, you know, you want to choose the greatest hits of that time. Right, okay. So that's how that So happened. it's, yeah, it was, it, was, it was, you know, 70s in right. general. <laughs> so do you guys now at that point have to be like, you know, whatever happens now happens? Like, you know, the whole screenwriter saying, kill your darlings, like, there are some things in the script that we love that might not make it to the final yeah. cut. Oh yeah, but you had you were okay with that. We're we're okay with that. I mean, <laughs> if you, if you want to put Spike Lee on <laughs> on our script and and hit, have him turn this into a Spike Lee joint, we're cool. Yeah, exactly. Right, it's an honor. Um, but you're a good sport about that. I mean, especially with like you know the speaking at the Oscars and the script, like you've been able to not have an ego about it, which I think is very important out here. Yeah, no, no sweat off my back. That's good. I love that. Uh, so they start casting the movie. They end up with like the perfect cast. John David Washington, like you said, is Ron Stallworth. He's Denzel Washington's son. Spike said he just offered him the role. He's known him since he was a kid. He didn't even have to audition. Mm -hmm. um, Adam Driver, perfect as Flip Zimmerman, um, which is actually kind of cool because so you and David are the you know Jewish writers and Kevin and Spike Lee are the black writers and it tells the story of like this black man, John David Washington, this Jewish man Adam, uh, that Adam Driver's For playing. Sure. And it had like all the voices and all the input from all these different cultures, you know, mm -hmm. and the characters then kind of portray that side of it. Um, was Adam Driver somebody that you guys thought of that would be perfect for that, that role? Uh, he was definitely on early lists. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, there's, there was a number of actors on that list. Uh, I remember early on there was a consideration for Shia LaBeouf to play that role. Oh, interesting. Which would have also been interesting. Right. Um, Maybe Andy Samberg wanted that role. That's why he's upset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what he's upset about. I don't I don't think he would be sitting here <laughs> doing this podcast, though. Maybe it would be a different uh, movie. Definitely be a very different movie. Yeah, but for Adam Driver, I mean, Star Wars came out in that time, made him this huge star. He became like an SNL host because really early on he was known for girls, you know. Mm -hmm. He became this big movie star. Mm -hmm. um, Topher Grace, like we said, played David Duke. Uh, Lori Har Laura Harrier, who I love, played Patrice. And I had seen her in Spider-Man, which mm -hmm. also was huge. So then she's a big star. You know, it was like 
the stars kind of aligned for all these people. Oh, yeah. Um, Corey Hawkins coming off straight out of Compton, Ryan Eggle, uh, Paul Walter Hauser, who was in I, Tanya. I, Tanya, yeah. So that was big. You know, yeah. all these names and faces. And he's going to be in Spike's next movie oh, as well. It, it's incredible. Nicholas Turturro. There's an amazing Harry Belafonte scene. And then it opens with Alec Baldwin. I mean, they got a great cast. Yeah. But, you know, it all goes back to the script. Like, the script has to attract this level of talent. So it comes back to you guys on that. Um, so you so you said you didn't see the finished film until Cannes. So tell me about the Cannes experience. It gets into Cannes. It was like opening or closing. It was a big deal at Cannes, right? The premiere? Yeah. Um, you know, you're you're uh, ushered onto the red carpet. You're uh, inside, you know, a bunch of tinted window, black escalades. And uh, once you get out of the car, it's just mayhem with all the photographers and paparazzi. What was the spike meeting like when you finally got to meet it? Oh, uh, the cocktail hour before all of that. Yeah. Um, Another situation where I was downing Belvedere because <laughs> I knew this was, you know, this is, it, it all started to feel real. And yeah. we were about to just be put into a room with Spike Lee and Topher Grace, John David Washington, Adam Driver, Laura Harrier, like all these people, and meet them for the very first time. Well, they and all knew your name because your name's on the script that they all read. And they that. knew my name, but, you know, when you're the writer, you, you got to still introduce yourself no, to everybody. Right. But as soon as you say it, they know who you are. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, that was just very, very surreal. Was Spike, like, thankful that you guys found the script? Did he understand that you guys found the book? Did he know the backstory? Yeah, yeah, I think he knew the backstory. He had communicated with the other producers previously, and he was very cool. And, you know, we were all posing for pictures together, <laughs> yeah. and I was telling him about, you know, how my parents are from Brooklyn, and yep. my dad would always walk by his shop uh and how my dad was coach at la brooklyn yeah. basketball's team i love it so yeah it all kind of came together in that moment mm-hmm. um so now okay so now you and david are sitting in the theater at the Cannes film festival and mm-hmm. the movie starts and you're like your words became this big movie what was that like sitting there watching it for the first time um you get into this giant theater and you have a couple rows cleared out for just the people involved in the movie. Everyone right. else in their tuxedos is seated. And so as soon as you walk in and you go to your seat, the movie starts playing. Yep. Uh, no nonsense. And, <laughs> you know, my heart was pounding. You're, you're, you're sort of like watching the film through, you know, your slits of your fingers <laughs> yeah. over your face because you don't know what to expect. And... You don't know how the crowd is going to react, which is when they reacted with, you know, silence at the very end of the movie. Oh, yeah. It was terrifying. Did you guys put that in the script or that was something Spike Lee added, which is the real footage of Charlottesville? The Charlottesville footage was all Spike. And it's dedicated to Heather Heyer, who passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that was a pretty powerful ending that he added there. Um, And then did people, was there like a standing ovation? What happened at the end? Because Ken is kind of known for that. Yeah, there was, I mean, David and I were joking, like, what happens if this movie gets booed? Like, if we get booed out of <laughs> right, Ken, how bad that would be? <laughs> right, no, but that movie won't get booed. And it was so silent, you could hear a pin drop. Were people crying? I don't know if people were crying at the time. I just remember it being emotional. very quiet, and I looked to Dave, and I was like, 
what's happening. I was right. like, do they not get it? Do they, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Right. And then very slowly, you just start to hear a slow applause that builds. <laughs> and then clap. people start to stand. And Christopher Nolan's in front of us oh clapping. And Benicio Del Toro is in front of us. He's standing, he's clapping. And Spike is getting a really big ovation. And we're like, okay, you know, either the movie's good or they're, you know, they're doing this out of respect <laughs> or polite. both. Uh, we didn't know what to think, but. But it was powerful. But also, like, while you're watching the movie, you're hearing lines of dialogue that you guys wrote. And that must be just totally surreal. Coming yes. out of these actors' mouths in this finished yes. movie with this, like, 70s music score just, like, coming to life. Like, your ideas. Yeah. I mean, Dave and I were definitely elbowing each other the entire movie. Like, right. Remembering you know, when you wrote that, like, in an apartment like, yeah. late at night, sitting there brainstorming ideas. Yeah. And now it's a major motion picture. Um, so the movie premiered at the Cannes Festival. It was May 14, 2018. So from the Cannes Film Festival to the Oscars is nine months of just you're on this ride for nine months. Yeah, it's uh, the, the award circuit. You don't think it's going to be exhausting until you're actually on it. And even though we weren't as heavily involved as Spike was. Right. Um, well, you got the whole thing started. You got the whole thing rolling, you know. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a commitment. It's like having another job, particularly yep. if you're Spike. I mean, he's a marketing machine. Right. He, he's, he went to like every single event. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, it's a campaign, basically. It's, it's like running for office. It's very impressive. Yeah. And so do you guys still have other jobs during the nine-month award season? Are you guys still have day jobs or are you developing other projects? We, yeah, we, we have um, two studio projects that we're doing one with Fox 2000 and Berlanti Productions. Uh, that TV, w- that TV one show. is a uh, film. They're both filmed. Oh, they are. Um, and that one is called Thatcher Island, and that's a book adaptation of this book, Animal by Casey Sherman, and it's essentially a witness protection origin story um, in America, and it takes place in the 1960s. It's about this Boston mobster, Joe Barbosa. Um, he was a hitman who became a turncoat against the New England mob. And there really wasn't a program for witness protection at the time. So the state and the FBI, led by J. Edgar Hoover and RFK, decided they need to put together a program. So they bring on this U.S. Marshal, John Partington. And his idea is, let's get Barboza off onto this island, which is about a mile off the coast of Rockport, Massachusetts. Right. And we'll keep him there with his wife and his five-year-old daughter and a bunch of marshals with guns armed protecting him uh, until trial. And, you know, that seemed like a good idea at the time until word leaked out in the Boston Globe of the location. And so the mob finds out. Oh, wow. They send a boat of assassins out to, you know, the assassins have guns, they have dynamite. I don't know what they were thinking of doing. Um, and... Their mission is to kill this guy before trial. Um, now, the the real life version of this deviates from the the adaptation version around this point because they show up to the island and they see these marshals standing there with guns, um, and it's hard enough to dock on this island. It's very <laughs> inhospitable, very yeah. rocky, um, and the weather was really bad. It was very stormy, so they chickened out. They turned around and they left. And in our version, they it's stay. like. They stayed, and it wasn't just one boat. It was a, a, a whole uh, fleet of boats. 
and it's like a, an invasion siege action thriller um, is what we're looking to make. And it's a true story? Based on Up a true until story. that point? Correct. Um, so that's another one that you guys found, or that was someone else had that? And you that, was, um, that was a book that was sent to us. Oh, that's cool. Um, Off Black Landsman. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, that was, uh, before, that was months before Black Klansman came out. Oh, wow. So. Because it seems like, you know, it's a period piece, you know, 60s instead of 70s, true yeah. story, you know, government involvement. That's yeah. cool. That's kind of, you guys are finding your, your niche with that, mm -hmm. your wheelhouse. Um, are you also doing a TV show called Madness that I read about? Yeah, we have, um, a TV, uh, a scripted college basketball show about the, sort of corrupt underworld of a fictional college basketball program, um, which for those who know me is, is very, uh, is something I'm very passionate about because, you know, my family has worked in the business yeah. in college basketball yep. and. Is your dad happy about that, that project? Oh, he, he's stoked. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that would be a limited series or a TV series? Uh, TV series. I, we're, we're still trying to get it made. We're, we're shopping it now. Uh, so the hope is that we can we can find a nice home for it. Yeah. Well, I think the Oscar award will help you. It will help you get more we'll meetings. See. It does. I mean, it it just kind of like shines a light on what you're already working on. Right. You know, and it, it does open those doors for sure. Um, so that's exciting. Yeah. So you're like on your way. So no more day jobs for you and David Rabinowitz. You guys. Can... I hope not, unless we really, really drop the ball. No. It sounds like it sounds like you're in a good place right mm -hmm. now. It's very exciting. Yeah. I'm very happy for you. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad you made the move to L.A. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew you wouldn't regret it. Um, so the last thing we do here at On The List is called the mystery question, which is I have the guest on my last podcast write a question on a card, steal it in an envelope. I don't even know what it is. Uh, the guests on my last podcast, there were actually two. It was Jamie Ray Newman and Guy Nativ who won the Oscar when you, got, when you won right before you for live action short for Skin. So they actually each wanted to write their own question. So you, you've got one on each side of the card, one from Jamie, how one fun. from Guy. And that's how we'll end it. You'll answer each question. And then you will leave one for my next guest, whoever that will be. Okay, first question from Jamie. What is your very first memory and how has it shaped your life? Hmm. Wow, that is deep. That's a lot. I guess I'll I'll take this to the, my first memory of seeing a movie in theaters. I love that. And I think that first movie was Home Alone. Uh, the best. <laughs> which yeah, it, it's a it's a fantastic movie, and I don't know. I think that was the first movie I saw in theaters. Was it your brother's birthday? Possibly. It might have been because I almost think I saw it with you guys. Maybe I saw it like three or four times in the theater, and I think one of them was a birthday party. It's very possible. So um, I don't know exactly how that memory shaped my life, but it definitely is something I remember and yeah, it made did. an impression on me. Yeah, you loved it. And I love the film. Yeah. And the second question is from Guy, what non-American film or work of art inspires your work? Oh, he's from Israel, so that's where that question comes from. Non-American. Hmm. Film or work of art. Um, that is a, that's a tough one. Yeah. Is there a foreign film you remember seeing that had like an impact on you? Yeah, I, I, there's quite a few. Um, you can name more than one. I remember the movie Z by Kostas Gavras, the Greek film, which, God, I, it's been so long since I've seen it, but I just remember that having a big impression on me because it was set during uh, the time of political unrest and the way that they port portrayed chaos in a city that was 
you know, transitioning in an election hmm. um, and uh, going through a revolution, the way they filmed it, it just felt so real. And I watched it around like when I was in college and I knew that like, this is how cinema is supposed to feel like to me. This is my taste. Uh, it should feel real and it should be something that could be a, a good platform for discussion. Huh. And so I always had a lot of respect for the filming of the 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 techniques used in that movie. Yeah, and that kind of brings it back to Black Landsman is that it was like this like important movie that people needed to see that made a statement. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's kind of uh, something we want to continue doing. Absolutely. Well, you guys are on your way. Well, there you go. That's a wrap on episode 50. Big milestone there. You got to be the 50th guest. Uh, thank you, Charlie Wachtel, for being here. If you have not seen Black Klansman, which I think everybody has, watch it. It's everywhere now, right? You can see it on iTunes. You can see it everywhere. Hopefully, we'll work together someday. That would be fun. That would be a nice yeah. full, full circle moment yeah. um, from childhood. And that's a wrap. You're going to leave a question for my next guest. Give you a pen and a card right there. Thank you again for doing this. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And I will talk to you next time. Bye. So keep fighting on When all hope is gone You live and you learn The same worlds will turn So shine like you should Hooray for Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.